Today's scripture is from Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. And it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is a, a sermon that Jesus gives that encompasses Matthew uh, chapters 5-7. through seven. It's also recorded in Luke. Uh, Jesus has shared a lot of really heavy, tough truth with us. And, and we've called it Manifesto because we, we believe that this kind of uh, describes w- what Jesus is after in building His kingdom. It's His manifesto of sorts of what He's after uh, in our hearts. And so today we come upon this text about, about false prophets and false uh, prophecies or messages about His kingdom. And, uh, and so we're going to be looking at that uh, this morning. So question for you, uh, what's, what's your favorite movie of all time? Race that go. Princess Bride, I mean, that was quick. That was really quick. That's good. It's good. You know, I, I was starting to think about some of my favorite movies, and there was like a theme. Like, I, I wouldn't say that I have like a favorite movie. I would say I have a favorite genre of movies. And I would say some of those are, are movies, and see if you can pick up on the theme here. Some of those are, are movies like Catch Me If You Can, uh, The Bourne Trilogy, Inception, Oceans 11, 12, 16, 17, however many there are of those. Um, those types of movies, and I'm not endorsing those, I'm just saying they're my favorite types of movies. Um, and have you picked up on the theme of what those types of movies are all about? They're, they're all about like deception, right? And being a fraud. <laughs> I don't know if that says something about my character or not, but those are the kinds of movies I like. And, uh, you, you know, I don't know, what it, I don't know if you know what it's like, but, but like you're, you're sitting on the couch or in the movie theater and you're watching a movie and you catch yourself like rooting for the criminal. Anybody ever done that before? You're like, yeah, come on, don't catch him, don't catch him, go for it, man. And you catch yourself rooting for the bad guy to get away uh, in the movie. And uh, I don't know why that is, but I have a hunch that it's, it's because there's a little bad guy in me, you know? There's a, little, there's a little fraudulent nature inside of me, and I like the story of it. And, and Jesus uh, approaches us today and says, hey, man, there's bad guys out there, there's phonies out there, you can't believe everyone. And so he kind of looks at this, in the scriptures we kind of look at this idea of a phony or a fraud uh, with kind of two prongs. One being, um, Jesus says there's going to be uh, false prophets or phonies in the church. And then in other places in scriptures we see him say that there's a false prophet or phony inside of you. And so those are going to be kind of the two tracks that we run on today as we look at this idea of a false prophet. So uh, what's a phony? I was asking um, uh, the girls that were in the truck with me yesterday, we, we took, uh, Mike McCoff and I took our daughters out to get their ears pierced yesterday, <laughs> and we took them to a tattoo parlor because that was the, the cleanest place to go, but we didn't, we underestimated the impact of the culture of a tattoo parlor for our little girls, I'll say that. <laughs> but uh, it, was, uh, it was a good experience, I'll say that. And we got pierced ears, which is awesome. So, you know, what's a, what's a phony? I was asking them, and they said, you know, it's a, it's a, someone's a fake. It's somebody that puts on a mask. And I thought, okay, well, this, this language works for our service today. It's someone who has a message or an identity that isn't really what they say that it is. You know, it's a false front. 
Now, a big idea of where we're going today with this kind of phony language is this, is that Jesus came to free his people from the phony within the church and also within themselves. Like, here's the deal. We get that phonies are in the world, but we don't assume that they're in the church. Now, I'm not saying, like, start looking around at each other, but Jesus kind of says, hey, beware. Like, here's, here's a warning for you. And he doesn't, Jesus doesn't post the beware of dog sign out front you know, of, of the gate if there's not a dog in there. You know what I mean? So he says, he says beware. And so we're going to look at this today, and I've got three points that I want to make on this. And, and the first one uh, is this. We've got to learn to see the reality of phony prophets uh, with phony gospels. So if you've got a Bible, let's open up to uh, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at just the first uh, four words of Matthew 7 here. Uh, it's 7 verse 15. He says this, beware of false prophets. That's enough right there. So we've got to beware. So here's the deal. We're, we're all phonies, as I, as I was saying earlier. And uh, Jesus comes to redeem us from that. And, and you know, kids, did you know that, that your parents are phonies too? They've just, over time, they've just gotten better at being phonies. Did you know that? You just kind of get a little better at hiding your sin, right? So, you know, you get, you get really frustrated when you get caught and you get busted in your sin. And, uh, and it, it hurts. It's not fun. But, but we all struggle with this. Everybody in the room has that in common, that we've got this kind of dual nature, this dual citizenship. They're, we're citizens of heaven, but we're also citizens of the sea earth. That our identity is in heaven, but it's still kind of planted in the soil of the earth, too. So we struggle with this. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7, doesn't he? He says, I, I don't do the things that I want to do. I do the things I don't want to do. And that's just kind of what it's like to live this side of heaven. But what Jesus is, is going at with us here is this idea that we've got to beware of the false prophet. So the first thing I want to talk about is the false prophet within. You know, a, 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 phony, a phony prophet has a phony gospel or a phony message, we could say. And, uh, and a, a phony gospel, here's how you pick it apart. It's, it's any time uh, that, you, that you hear a message that says, if you follow me, you'll have life that doesn't include Jesus. Like, if you follow me, you'll have life. Now, we could, we could kind of look at the baseline of that message, and that's basically what every marketing scheme is about, right? They want you to own it, to absorb the product, whatever it is, the experience. If you follow me, you'll have life. And so when you make those types of things supreme in your life, you are following a false message. Now, I'm not saying we can't enjoy products and experiences and things like that, but when we trust them, we are trusting in a phony gospel. Jesus does this interesting thing with his disciples. In Matthew 16, his, so his disciples are like getting ready to graduate. If you've got a Bible, flip over a few pages to Matthew 16. His, his disciples are kind of getting ready to graduate. He's getting ready to endure, uh, you know, the Passion Week where he's going to go on Calvary's cross. And, and the church is going to be birthed through his life, death, and resurrection. And, and so Jesus does kind of this one last thing with his disciples after they've spent a few years with him. And so what he does is recorded in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. I'll read it for us and we'll kind of, we'll kind of look at it. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So let's, let's park right there for just a second. The district of Caesarea Philippi. What is the district of Caesarea Philippi? Well, basically, you know, I've actually had the opportunity to visit this place before. Uh, it's now occupied uh, in, in Israeli territory where it was in Syrian territory for a long time. And, 
And this, this area is this kind of historic place that's in the side of this cave where the god of Pan was, was worshipped. And it was like basically, it was kind of like the red light district of, of the Roman Empire, you could say. It was just a really filthy kind of place. It's just like, why, Jesus, why are you taking your disciples up to this, like, God-forsaken place? Like, like, Jesus, why are you taking your disciples to Vegas to send them out? You know what I mean? Like, why are you doing this? And so, and I used to live in Las Vegas, so I can say that. But anyway, um, <clears throat> he's taking them up there to Caesarea Philippi. And there's, when you look, even to this day, you know, over 2,000 years later, there's, there's all of these little shelves that are carved into the rock. You can look it up on the internet. And... Um, and, and there's the places where all of the idols would be set, that they would worship. And then there was this cave that was believed to kind of lead to the afterlife. And so they would offer sacrifices there. It was this kind of really strange place. And so this is where Jesus takes his disciples before he's going to send them out into the world to make disciples. So we pick up Matthew 16. Verse 13, and he asks his disciples when he gets them up there. They're probably a little confused when they're going up the mountain. Uh, it's in the Golan Heights, and they're, they're going up the mountain there, and, and they're probably confused as they get there. And Jesus asks them a question. So imagine the hustle and bustle of an urban environment that's really kind of worldly. And he asks them a question, who do people say that I am? And all the voices and, and the sacrifices and everything's just kind of around them as he asks this question, and what do his disciples say to him? They say, some say, you know, hey, John the Baptist. Uh, some say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he asked this other question, who do you say that I am? So when Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? He's like, hey, in, in the midst of, of the, all the evil that you see in this world, who do people say that I am? And he, they kind of give this kind of synergistic um, message of who, synchronistic, synergistic message of who Jesus is, where it's kind of like, yeah, you're just kind of like one of those other prophets, all right? That's who, that's who people kind of think that you are, that you're just kind of one of the boys who's came along in Israel's history, and, uh, and you've got some good things to say, but you're not really distinct from them. There's not really anything different about you. That's who people say that you are. Your message doesn't stand out. Your life doesn't stand out. It's this message of just kind of keep going. Just kind of do your, your own thing. It's just, you're just kind of vanilla Jesus. That's who people say that you are. And then he asks the question, who do you say that I am? And he puts it right to them. And Peter, this is one of Peter's shining moments, right? He stuck his foot in his mouth a lot, but this is one of his shining moments. And Peter pipes up and he says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So, so, so Peter pipes up, 
and he, and he shares the gospel of the kingdom. He gives the message of what Jesus has been after the whole time. And, and Jesus responds to him, and this is a, a theological distinction where there's, you know, the church is kind of split over this distinction, but the message is, is the, the, the foundation of what Jesus is going to build his church on is the message and proclamation of what Peter proclaims here. That Jesus is the Son of God. It's, it's nothing special about Peter. We see that in the Scriptures, don't we? I mean, he's like a man of courage, but he sticks his foot in his mouth a lot. He denies Jesus. It's the message that he proclaims. The, the profession of his faith is what Jesus is going to build his kingdom on. Jesus says, this is the true message. There are no true prophets other than me. There is no one that you can trust other than me. And we see that in Peter's life. And in the midst of a, of a pagan and worldly place, I'm going to build my kingdom. And nothing's going to stand against it. No, nothing can overcome it. I find it so interesting that Jesus would take His people to such a worldly place with such false messages and false people to send them out. And here we find ourselves 2,000 years later in Caesarea Philippi, don't we? I mean, I mean, Caesarea Philippi might be, America might be most like Caesarea Philippi more than any other city. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I can see a lot of similarities in that. So my question to you is this, as we're, as we're kind of transitioning here, we'll keep moving. The phony gospels and prophets were pretty obvious to the, to the disciples as they, were, as they were there in Caesarea Philippi, and they were probably shocked that Jesus took them there. And when Jesus was with them, they were able to share the right message from the right prophet. My question to you is this, can you see the phony gospels and the phony promises of life that surround you this morning? Can you pick them out? Because it's what I'm realizing is that it is the air that we breathe, it is the water that we swim in. They're all around us. These messages are that promise life without the power of life. And Jesus is the one that gives it. So a diagnostic question for us this morning, what, what is it that promises you life this morning apart from the risen Son of God empowering it? What is it? And you'll find this play, you'll find the answer to that question by asking yourself this what keeps you up at night and what frustrates you most in your life right now? What, what steals your peace? What steals your joy? At the source of whatever that disappointment is, is probably, uh, probably the place that you're believing something false about God or, or some kind of message that's false about who Jesus is. And then as you think about that, maybe it'll take you a day or two to think about that, to really unpack that and ask God to search you and know you in light of that. Do you believe that God could love you even after seeing that in you? Because it's, it's the only way to be a Christian is to know that, that you are deeply flawed and that you're a phony yourself, but yet that's the only way that you can be in Christ. And so secondly, the second warning is this, beware, do everything you can to not believe and follow phonies. So, so Jesus, Jesus warns his disciples in this passage about a, a reality we don't want to believe, and the reality is this, is that there will be people that come in Jesus' name with the appearance of Jesus' message that is not from Jesus. So it's a sobering thought to think that, that people 
of, with spiritual authority in your life could have an ulterior motive within themselves for their own gain and use the message of the Gospel to make that happen. You know, today there's, there's, there, there's these cultish religions that, you know, that show up at our doorsteps in places of employment with this kind of synchronistic gospel which says, yeah, Jesus is kind of one of the prophets, just like in Caesarea Philippi. He's kind of one of the prophets. We believe in Him. But, you know, this other book over here is really where I find life. Those are the obvious things that we see, church. Those are the obvious messages that we see. And, and guys, I, I love Jehovah's Witnesses. I love Mormons. But their message is not the same message of the gospel. It is an additional message that does not see Jesus as Lord. So those are, the, those are the obvious ones to us as Christians, I believe. You know? And then there are the, the kind of the, the TV preachers that we see. And not all TV preachers preach a, a false gospel. I'm not saying that. But there are many false gospels that we see on, on TV, right? That preach a health and wealth gospel. Because we see those too and we can pick those out. I don't think those are the ones that Jesus is warning us about as much this morning, frankly. New City Church. I think they're the ones that we cannot see and he gives us kind of the essence of how to go about revealing that and and one of the things that we've got to understand about this idea of prophecy comes from hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 you know if we say a prophet is a messenger of god um, in the old testament we see that there was an office of prophet meaning that that god uh, ordained prophets to to um, speak on behalf of of him for the people to, to warn them to lead them to guide them you know we, we see we see prophets that give wisdom to kings in the old testament well that, that was a season of time that 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 the office of prophet has now been fulfilled in jesus and we see this in hebrews chapter one long ago at many times and in many ways god spoke to our fathers by the prophets and then there's the word but okay but in these last days he speaks to us by His Son. He has spoken to us by His Son. So we're, we're told from the Scriptures that, that in Jesus, His life now speaks the final word over our lives. And we're told in John 14, 26, that the, the Holy Spirit essentially has come to apply the final word of Jesus to our hearts. We see John 14, 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So what is the Holy Spirit's role? It's to shine a spotlight on the Word of Jesus in our lives and in our hearts. To reveal it more and more to us. He's come to magnify the Son of God. It's what He's come to do. So kind of as a, as a, as a foundation for where we're going next here in the sermon, let me recap what I've just said. God spoke through prophets. Now the life of Jesus speaks to us through His Word, by the power of the Spirit. That's how God works in our lives and how the life of Jesus impacts our hearts. So how do we, you know, secondly, how do we learn to detect the phony Gospels and the phony prophets that are all around us? Because Jesus says in Matthew seven fifteen, as we finish the sentence here, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. Isn't that a crazy picture? You know, kids, you've got a coloring sheet in front of you with, with a wolf in the midst of a pack of sheep, right? 
Well, just imagine a sheep kind of throwing a cloak of a wolf over and going into the shepherd pen seeking to devour all of the sheep from the inside out. Kind of a Trojan horse mentality. You know what I mean? This is the picture that Jesus gives of what will come in the time, the season that we're in, the season of the church. And he says you've got to be, you've got to be, you've got to be mindful of this. You've got to be discerning about this. Martin Lloyd-Jones reminds us of, of this phony prophet and phony gospel. He says this. He says, the false prophet never disturbs or makes you feel uncomfortable. He's always harmless and nice. Always invariably attractive. We think that it's going to be like ferocious and, and we're going to be like forced to believe something, but Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying something that I think is very true. That it's kind of like this lullaby of a false gospel that we kind of drift off into believing. And we do this when we abandon God's Word and we abandon the Spirit who shows us God's Word. That's, that's what begins to happen in our hearts is we will inevitably drift toward the shelf of idols that's all around us. That's what we will drift toward. Now, now the other thing you've got to understand about this is that they, they don't sound phony and they don't look phony. But there is a pup, there's a grand puppeteer behind every false prophet and every false gospel. It's the enemy himself. The, the ultimate schemer behind every false message that we could believe is Satan. And he's craftier than any other beast that God ever created, any other entity that God ever created. And I think we take that so lightly sometimes. You know, Megan and I have just tried to make it a point to kind of cautiously walk forward in revealing the things that we see uh, that, that are influenced by the enemy with our children. It's kind of a tightrope of a walk because you don't want to scare them to death, but at the same time, you don't want to be dumb about it. You know, you want to, you want to be honest about where you're at. And I'm reminded that he, he wants to take an inch where he can take it and a mile where he can take it. And, and uh, C.S. Lewis in his, in his work, The Screwtape Letters, I know I keep coming back to this work every time we talk about the enemy, but it's just so remarkable. It's this, it's this story that C.S. Lewis writes about this kind of senior level demon apprenticing this younger demon. And he tells him basically how to, how to draw Christians away from God. It's kind of a twisted way of looking at it, but it's really helpful for us. And one of the quotes that he shares in his book is this. He says, you'll say that these are very small sins, subtle sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, he's writing to like the apprentice devil here, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. You really want people to fall. You really want them to mess it up. That's what you're really after when you tempt Christians to fall away from the Lord. But he says this, but do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, and the enemy meaning God. That's all he's after in our lives. is to take us away just an inch at a time. And guys, every, every morning that I get up and I abandon the Word, I start my morning without Jesus, I mean, there's, a, there's, there's always like an inch that I'm taking away from God. Same might be true for you. We've got to be vigilant as the church to access the means in which God has given us, the means of grace, the means that He's given us to see and believe Jesus Christ is risen and reigning in our lives. We've got to do that work. So the kind of the profile of this, of the, the false prophet is found in Jeremiah 23. It's this prophecy that Jeremiah prophesies about false prophets. And he says this, 
It's in verse 16. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. It's, it's on false prophets that they say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord. It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster will come upon you. So what do we see about these false messages? They don't come from God, is what Jeremiah is saying. They come from the, the manufacturing of some man. And they, they desire to take us away from seeing Jesus as, as reigning and risen. Now, I, I don't think it would be helpful for me to make a list of what I see to be false prophets around us today. Uh, other than Brandon Dean. But uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding. Brandon's our pastoral assistant here. He's awesome. But, but I don't think it'd be helpful, right? Like, we don't need more division, but what we do need is awareness, right? We need, we need awareness of the false messages that are around us. Uh, the, the marks of, of, the, of the phony prophet, Jesus says in Matthew 7, uh, verse 16, he says this, here's how the marks are revealed. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? He's saying, listen, you can't plant an apple tree and expect grapes to come from it, right? It's a a silly picture, right? So he says, basically what he's telling us is that time tells the difference in a true prophet of God with a true message of God. Jesus says, I'm sorry, John John the Baptist says in Matthew 3, there's these, these guys that are coming up to John because they want to be baptized because Jesus is kind of you know on the scene now and they want this baptism of repentance that John is offering to prepare the way of Jesus and these guys come up these Pharisees and Sadducees and they say hey we want in on this we want to make sure we've kind of crossed all the dots and got the T's you know we, we want to get the t-shirt too to make sure we don't miss out on anything and John calls their bluff he says this he says you brood of vipers Matthew 3 7 who warn you to flee from the the wrath to come Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So how do we know if a message of God from a prophet of God is real? Is there fruit that follows it? That looks like the fruit of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of repentance? Does that follow someone's message in life? And if it doesn't, you need to tell them to hit the road, is what Jesus is saying. Because it's not real. Like you, you can't, you can't see one thing and then expect another. Like Jesus is saying, you've, you've, got to st- you've got to see if it stands the test of time. They, these guys, the Pharisees and Sadducees, wanted the outward sign without the, the heart of Jesus living inside of them. So our fruit is what reveals the true identity of any person. The fruit of the message that they proclaim the message that they say reveals the source of any messenger. Lastly, as we, as we kind of come to a close here, how, how do we begin to walk forward with this? I think this is a, 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 probably a, a text that we probably underestimate because we think that, oh yeah, I've got the word, I kind of got this. Um, but I want to I challenge you to, to push back on that desire to say, hey, I got this. I'm not believing anything false. Because it's like the, it's like the blind man that's healed in, I think it's uh, man, John chapter 9, okay? This blind man is healed, and um, 
you know, Jesus says like, hey, I'll, I'll heal you if you believe. I'm summarizing here. And what's the guy say? I believe, but help my unbelief. Like the enemy already has you duped if you think there's no unbelief in your heart. He's already got you. So what does it look like to walk forward knowing that you're this kind of this mixture of faith and belief and, you know, this, this mixture of flesh and unbelief that still needs to be worked out? What does it look like to walk that out? Well, the Apostle John gives us a helpful, a helpful uh, kind of tool to walk forward. He says this in 1 John 4.1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe every, every, every person. Don't believe every message that you hear. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. What is this? Do we, I mean, do I need to get on Amazon and like find a, a spirit detector device? You know, Prime now. Let me get it over to my house, you know? I mean, what does it look like to test the spirits? How do we do that? And I mean, how are we even aware of the spirits? I mean, how do we walk this thing out? The first thing is this, and I think these would be really helpful takeaways for us. We must engage the indwelling spirit as God's people. God has given us a promise that he has filled us with his spirit, that it's not the second thing that we need to get, but he's given it to us upon conversion, upon salvation. He promises to give us the Spirit, which dwells in us and reminds us of the things that Jesus has said, and it pierces our heart, and he keeps us as a guarantee as we wait for Jesus to return. But we, we so underutilize the gift of the Spirit within us. What, what John is saying is, guys, put the Spirit of God that lives inside of you to work. Make Him work on your behalf to show you what is true and what is not true as you labor over the Word of God because this is a matter of life and death. The Spirit desires to teach you all things according to John 14 and bring to remembrance all that Jesus has said to us. That's His role in our lives. But as Francis Chan wrote a book about once, he's the forgotten God though. Like we don't even remember that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and he desires to give us life and confidence and joy in Jesus. So we've got to engage the Spirit. So how do we engage the Spirit of God? Well, kind of the coding language of the Spirit, according to John 14, is the Word of God, right? So the second thing is this, hold it against the Word of God. In Amos 8.11, there's this prophecy that's, that's kind of interesting because he says, hey, look, there's not going to be this... He's prophesying about the people of, of Israel being in exile. And he said, look, there's not going to be this famine of food and water like you're used to when you go into exile. But instead, there's going to be this famine of the Word of God. It's going to be like people are starving for the Word, but they can't get to it. In our missional community this week, we looked at the story where Nehemiah builds the wall and Ezra comes into Jerusalem and he reads the law. And what do the people do? They start weeping as they hear the word of God because some of them have never heard the word of God. It's been 70 years since they've been in exile. Church, there is a famine of the word of God in the United States and in Atlanta, in the Bible Belt where the belt buckle is. There's lots of churches, but there's not a whole lot of Bible. Okay? 
Jesus warns us of this. And there's lots of Christians who, who walk around discouraged because the thing that could give them so much life is so underutilized and neglected. The, the Word of God, the words of Jesus, the Logos, the John 1, He's, you know, he's the word of, word of God, Jesus is, is so underutilized. And church, our responsibility is to know the word. And so what would it look like for you right now in this season of your life to do whatever it takes to come to a, a growing knowledge of the word of God in your life? What would need to happen in your life? None of us are finished. We're all still in process. Jesus is completing us, but he does so through his word by his spirit. What's it need to look like for you in your life right now? Are you around the people of God, around the word of God, or are you just out on your own all the time? What would it look like for you to commit to growing in the word of God? You know, the Secret Service is a government agency uh, that was developed for a reason that most people don't know. It was developed, uh, you know, not for like sending out spies and stuff like that, but for detecting counterfeits. That's why the Secret Service was developed. Most people don't know that. And the Secret Service, when they train these guys to detect counterfeits, they don't go around like getting like, you know, all the counterfeit bills from, you know, like Jimmy Bedford when I was in high school making fake money for the cafeteria ladies. No, they don't go around looking for those. That really happened, by the way. I don't think he knew it was a federal crime, but anyway. He was back in class a couple days later. They don't, go around, they don't go around looking for all the fake money they can find. Instead, what do they do? They look at the real thing until they can't look at it anymore. And when they're tired, they come back and they look at it again. Church, that's how we see what is real. What the real Word of God is, we look at it and, and we, we, we look at the Scripture and we say, oh, I've heard John 15 before the vine and the branches. What else is there to learn? There's so much more for you there. Because every time you come to the Word of God, you're a different person. And God's Spirit is operating in you in a deeper and more profound way. So there's going to be things that you see about Jesus through His Word differently every single time that you mine it out. And I get it. I mean, you know, the first 15 or 20 minutes of my quiet times are like, you know, me watching squirrels outside. I get it. It's tough, right? You're like, man, you just, and you're like, man, I only have 20 minutes, and the whole time you're just kind of flipping through the pages, and you're not really getting anything. Whatever it needs to look like for you in your life right now, commit to growing in the Word, because if not, you have, you really have no opportunity. Yet you have no opportunity to grow in the true message in life that Christ has for you. Whether, I mean, I know guys that they're, they're listening to the Word as they're sitting in 85, you know. They're listening to the Word preached. I mean, they're just doing whatever they can. Get creative. But you've got to get the Word of God into you. Lastly, um, run it through the people of God. So, so first we said we've got to engage the indwelling Spirit. Secondly, we've got to hold it against the Word of God. Thirdly, run it through the people of God. Uh, when Megan and I had really felt called after a season of prayer to come to Atlanta and plant a church, we had a lady that we, we know and love come up to me and say, hey, you do not need to go to Atlanta and plant a church. I just had this vision that, this, that just terrible things are going to happen in your life because of this, and you don't need to go. And she was, I mean, she was being as serious as could be. 
And we, we know this lady. We, we trust her. We, we, we know her husband. He's a pastor as well. And, and so, man, I'm really troubled because we're like ready to go. I mean, the moving van's like almost packed up. And I get this vision. And so what, what do you do? Well, okay, you take it, you, you engage the Spirit, you say, God, okay, please show me, give me discernment. You take it to the Word, well, there, there's, not, there's nothing in, you know, um, 6th John that tell him, tells me about, hey, moving to Atlanta or not, right? So I, it's like, okay, how do I do this? Well, I take the principles that I see in the Word, which is that the people of God are a real value to Christians, right? And so I just go and I start asking people around me, hey, do you see any truth in this? Do you see anything I'm missing here? And that lady was the only one that, that said that. And so I don't know what was going on that day, but we, we kind of said, hey, we love you, but we're moving. We're going for it. And uh, it wasn't, uh, we still talk to them to this day. It was just kind of one of those things. We're like, I, I don't really think that that was right on. And so we came to Atlanta, as you can tell. So, um, so I, moving forward from here, I, I, what I don't want us to do as a church is to be hyper-cynical, Right? Cynicism will kill you from the inside out. And cynicism is this idea that, that you, can't, you can't trust anyone, you can't believe everyone, you know, everyone's lying to you. That's cynicism, right? Some of us have been there before, some of us might be there right now, okay? That's cynicism. The other, the other side of the ditch is this blind naivety that says, you know, yeah, who wrote gullible on the ceiling? You know, some of you looked, but that's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, you believe everything or you don't believe anything. There's, there's this middle ground that the Spirit leads us into. And we ask Him to lead us, and He does so through the power of His Word. And somehow, some way, some shape, some form, we can rest. We can rest in the middle of it. And that's the invitation for us today. Is that though there's darkness around, though there's false messages that surround us, though, though we're in Caesarea Philippi, somehow... Because Jesus is in the boat with us, we've got peace. And I think we're saying we can wake Him up more, you know, through prayer, through His Word, through engaging His Spirit. So that's the challenge for us today. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks for, uh, for Your Word. And uh, God, I just pray that we uh, wouldn't be afraid of this world, um, but that we would be wise. Um, as Jesus calls us to be. So, Lord, would you help us to be wise in, in how we walk in this world? Would you help us to be wise in the messages that we let our hearts grasp onto? Would you, would you teach us, even in a deeper way, to let the messages that we believe filter through the Spirit, the Word, and Your people every single day? Lord, teach us, uh, teach us more of You. Press us more into the heart of Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.